All right, we are still in the book of Ephesians. We're approaching towards the end of it. We're more than halfway through. There's six chapters, and we're in chapter five now, beginning this week, uh, this Sunday. And uh, so we want to move along, as it were, with Paul's thinking, Paul's theme, his idea of what he's trying to relate to us as a church and as the body of Christ, Christ being the head, us being the body, and in the body, you and I are members one of another, he said, joints connected with sinew and, and uh, all these sorts of things that, that hold us together, muscles and, and uh, all the organs of the body and all the members of the body, he just says, we're, we're all compacted together to into one. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what that circle of love represented and in, a, in a very visible way last Sunday morning. And for those of you on the internet that couldn't be a part of that, uh, uh, I feel for you uh, that you missed out on that. It, it was a great time and a great thing. And, and uh, uh, it's a joy and a, and a thrill of your heart to see the Lord working like that. That's just an amazing thing. Well, let's read a few verses this morning. I'm not sure exactly how far we're going to go. Um, I would love to be able to just do the first 17 verses because those all make one complete, nice, compact unit. The only trouble is it's not, when I say compact, doesn't mean it's short. (laughs) They are compact, but not short. So I'm going to read at least down through verse 8, and if we make it that far this morning, well, that'll be great. If we don't, then we'll just pick up where we finish and go on. In verse 1, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and uh, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Of course, that's not the end of the sentence, but I'm going to make it the end for this morning's sake. And uh, I can tell that summer is here and the pollen has arrived. You know, I never even gave it a thought. I just, for some reason, it just hit me finally. Uh, my eyes watered like crazy last summer, and uh, then I didn't think about it. Over the winter time, it quit. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't notice it, but I didn't even pay any attention to it. But this this spring, when it started up again, I thought, "Oh my, it's the pollen," <laughs> and it's gotten into my eyes, and it does apparently every year, I guess. That's the cause of it. I'm going to blame it on that anyway. So if I'm up here wiping tears away, it's not because I'm getting too 
emotional this morning is because of, because of that. They just water all the time, and then it gets to where I can't even hardly see my words here. Uh, Paul's really been, you know, it's just like he's working hard in this letter that he's writing to the church at Ephesus and potentially maybe other churches in the, in the Asia Minor area that this letter may have gotten passed around to in a, in a, as a circular letter, whichever way it may be, in setting forth things that we were to have learned when we accepted Christ. When we received him and a change came over us and, and we were made alive in Christ, and all these things, just this, this whole new atmosphere of new way of thinking and a new light dawning on us. And, well, any of us, could, if we go back and give testimony to the day that we received Christ, I'm sure that in many respects, all of us would be different. And yet in another respect, we would all be the same. Because the, the change that comes over you and I've related to you on many occasions here since I've been here, uh, the change that came over me the Sunday morning that I received Christ as my Savior and riding home in that car with some, um, they, were grant, they were the parents of one of the folks in the church who came by our house and picked us up, and uh, my brother and my sister and I, and I just remember riding home in the car just thinking, boy, you are a different person today. And you're going to have to make some changes in your life. And the only thing I knew about what to do, because I was only about 12, 13 years old, maybe 14. I don't even know how old I was then. The only thing I knew I should do was stop taking the Lord's name in vain. And so I did. And I made that change. And that was my only evidence. Only evidence anybody would ever, if anybody had noticed, there would have been the only evidence there was in a change in my life for many, many years until the Lord began to work in my life once again. And I dedicated my life to the Lord when I was, who, 22 or 21? 22, I think it was. It was November 12th, 1973. I'd have to go back and figure it out now. I can't remember. But that was another event in my life of change that took place. And that's what Paul is emphasizing for us, is that as we have learned Christ, then also change must take place in us. And you know what? He says this is, that's well-pleasing to the Father. It's acceptable to him. As a matter of fact, I didn't read the verse. I, I, don't, I didn't really intend to go that far this morning. But in verse 10, he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And that word acceptable means well-pleasing. What is well-pleasing to him? It is those changes that come about in our life because of our obedience to him that he is pleased with. So as he, we ended this last passage in chapter 4, and he was talking about the things that we should put off and how we should put off the old man, put on Christ, 
put on the new man, and make all these behavioral changes of the lying and the anger and the, the stealing and the filthy talk. Matter of fact, we said it was rotten. The Greek word just means rotten, putrid language. You know, get rid of all that stuff out of your life. Well, Paul now in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he be, changes to things of a sexual nature. Everything he's talking about here is related to that. In the first verse, he says, be followers of God. Now, of course, in your newer translations that you might have, most likely it says imitators. Uh, the word is mimekatos, which is where we get our word to mimic. So imitators is really the best word you could use. And I think every, I look to see if, well, does anybody use a different word than imitate? Nobody did. Everybody used imitate. Only the King James used follower. Well, the problem is follower might indicate something not nearly so strong and committed in, 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 in its committal idea of being committed. Imitator is a much stronger word, and I like that. To be imitators of God as dear children, beloved children. How are we to do that? And how in the world can we ever imitate God? Well, we know we can't do it perfectly. We know we can't be the exact examples of God, since we are his creatures, and he is the Almighty and the Creator. But we can walk the way he intended for us to be in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as dear children, beloved children. So we did, that just creates in our mind an image of a father with his children. Or in the New Testament world, we talked quite a bit here recently about the master of the house. And the scriptures speak very strongly about that, how the master of the house, that in many, many, many households, the house had a master along with his wife and children, and he had slaves, and he may have had other relatives living with him, people that he was responsible for in his household. And so I pictured in my mind, you know, the master of the house gathering his children around him, whether it was technically real little children, or whether it was the whole members of the household, but most likely here as children, and ministering to them, and teaching them, and loving on them. And he says, we are to imitate God in that way, as dear children. And the thought continues in verse 2, how that's to be carried out. Walk in love. You know, it's one thing for us to meet in an assembly like this, and it's another thing to stand in a circle and hold hands in a circle of love. But it's another thing then to let go of those hands and walk about our way and walk in love. That's a whole other dimension 
to our life. You know, I want to go down to verse 8. And then we're going to come, and I want to say something here. And then we're going to come back up with this thought in mind. And then we'll finish these verses. What I want us to notice in verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Turn back to chapter 2, where we discussed where we discussed where we were before we were made alive in Christ. He tells us in verse 1, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But in verse 2 he says, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. Over here he says we walked in darkness. Well, if we're walking according to the course of this world, believe me, you are walking in darkness. And any time we adopt the ways of the world, we're adopting the ways of darkness. But what I want us to see here is he says, but now, but now are ye light in the Lord. So if you could just take a line and you draw a line on a piece of paper and there was a a dot over here that represented your birth and there was a dot over here that represented the end of your life, the day you died, somewhere in between there's another dot. And that's the dot that stopped the darkness. From the day of birth up to that dot, you walked in darkness. But then, when you were made alive in Christ, you were quickened, it says. Then you walked in light, and you became a child of light. And light would have been, should be characteristic of us the rest of our life to the last dot, the day we die. So on this light, on this plane, this line... There is darkness, and then there is a change over here to light. But then, that's not the whole story. See, that only names our position in Christ. That tells us that we are in Christ. The circle, the preposition in, we are in Christ, in Him. But now, he says, walk as children of light. So if you are in position in light, now down here on another plane, another line, walk as children of light. Now this plane up here, this one of our position, you see that doesn't change. But the one down here, That's all about our obedience. That's all about our walk of faith. And that does change. Based on how loyal and faithful we are imitators of God and followers of Him. That one has a lot of ups and downs to it. So as we go back up to the beginning of this chapter... And we begin to address the things that Paul is talking about. He leaves some of these other simplified things. You know, he gives like one verse, maybe two verses 
on theft and anger. He gives a couple verses too, grieving the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, our speech and so on. But when he comes over here to sexual immorality, he has a whole passage, a whole section here on that subject. That was a big deal in Paul's day, just like it is today. No different. And I suppose in one sense, we could say, yeah, it's a whole lot worse today because Paul didn't have TV, he didn't have movies, he didn't have internet, he didn't have people sending suggestive things out through email or Instagram or what are all these other kind of social media things that are out there that people use today. All kinds of things. And that's why Paul addresses it in such an important way is because in his day, it was a big deal. And if it was a big deal then, it's a big deal now. And we're going to see why. So walk in love in verse 2, as Christ also has loved us, By the way, if you just, for me, I just skip over to the page on my right into chapter 5 and verse 25, and he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. You know, it's interesting how many times in Scripture, you know, Paul will speak corporately of the church. He loved us, but then he speaks individually of each one of us. And that's important to recognize that, that it's as individuals he loves us. If all we had to go on was the fact that God loved the church, you'd just be one little number amongst the millions and millions of people in this world who are members of the church. Or even members of a local church, for that matter. But this this puts it down where we live. This puts it right to where I sit in the pew, that he loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. How do we actually apply that then to you and I? Is that in our fellowship and service to one another that our conduct is such that it has a sweet aroma to it, has a nice savor? Janet come out walking into the, the, the living room slash kitchen area of our house and said... Boy, that coffee sure smells good. Well, you when you come out of the bedroom and you hit coffee, whether you like coffee or not, or whether you drink it or not, it always smells good, doesn't it? It just has a nice smell to it. What a what a savor it is in the nostrils of God for the conduct of believers who walk in love and express themselves as he is instructing us here. 
in our imitation of God. For when he comes to verse 3, he says, but. But, ooh, what a turn in change of events here concerning conduct. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Now the word fornication just says whatever kind of sexual immorality it is, whatever kind, whether it's abuse of children, whether it's adultery, pornography, prostitution, you name it, don't let it be named among you. Don't even, and one commentator says, it's like when he says, let it not be once named among you, is it's like, you know, don't even be dreaming about such things. It shouldn't be a part of us. And then he calls this uncleanness, impurity. Anything that's unclean in our life, get rid of it. Covetousness. Greedy desire, always wanting something else or something more. Something more, I think, probably hits the note better than anything. If you want to be a becoming saint, a fitting saint, that these things are not to even be named amongst us or thought of amongst us. Now, this verse 4, it says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. The word there for neither is, is the chi, K-A-I. And we've talked about this word on, on probably many occasions, I know. And it's just the, the simple word in English is and, A-N-D, and. So he's not making a change of direction here. It's a continuation. And I think we should read it that way so that you will catch the flow of why or what Paul, the emphasis Paul is putting on the kinds of things he's speaking of here. So he says, don't uh, let these things be once named among you as become saints and filthiness and foolish talking, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So in these things that he's talking about here, when he continues on, you'll notice, well, let me just talk about what these words are dealing with here. Filthiness, dealing with whatever is shameful, indecent, whatever is obscene, and many, many other words that you could come up with to describe just plain old filthy things. Foolish talking is pretty simple and, 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 and just cuts right to the chase. It's moros logos. <laughs> Moronic talk. It's where we get our word moron. Speaking like a moron. Foolish talk Foolish kind of talk that is connected with sin. 
We can talk foolishly and not sin. But he's talking here about talking foolishly in connection with these sexual sins that he's mentioned up here in verse 3. And then finally, this word jesting. Jesting there is another interesting word. Uh, the Greek word there it means well-turned. And it carries with it the idea of somebody being able to, you know, they've got a, a quick and witty tongue. And so you've been, and you've been around people like this uh, who can, you know, you're carrying on a conversation and they're quick to take what you say and they can turn that word in a heartbeat into something, you know, humorous. Now, it can be on a clean level, but in the context of what Paul's using it here, he's talking about it being a coarse kind of jesting, a C-O-A-R-S-E, a coarse kind of talk. And somebody who has well honed their skill to the point where it seems like every word that comes out of your mouth, they can take it and turn it and make something out of it just like that. And you've been around people like that. I have been around quite a few like that. And he's saying, put those things away from you. As a matter of fact, he says, these things are not convenient. These things are unbecoming. These things are not fitting. Or another, I like the expression, these things are out of place or out of character. They don't fit with a saint. They're not characteristic of somebody who is an imitator of God, who is to be walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sweet aroma. There's nothing sweet or edifying about that kind of language and talk. So when he, when he finishes with this, he says, but rather giving of thanks. It's very interesting to me, after all of this negative, he just turns to one little simple phrase on a positive note, but giving of thanks. The giving of thanks, though, is connected all the way back with all that that's in verses 1 and 2. To be an imitator of God, to be a follower of Christ, walking in love, carries with it the idea of a person who is giving thanks in order to avoid being caught up, I guess would be the word I would use, caught up in all of these other kinds of things that he just mentioned. So giving of thanks, having a grateful, thankful attitude plays a huge role in affecting what kind of conduct we're going to have and what kind of conduct we, we, we display in our Christian walk. Gratitude. Now, when he goes on in verse 5, it was amazing to me. He says, it, you know, I, and it's interesting too, I was reading these commentaries and they said, these verses seem so disjointed, you know, it, it's, uh, they don't seem connected to each other. 
But I looked, at, I looked at these meanings of these words, and I said, well, to me, they make all the sense in the world. They're all connected together. If you look at, at verse 5, when he says, For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, if you look at the word whoremonger, the root of that is the word porneia, which goes right back to the word fornication. So a whoremonger is this fornicator. And then he says, nor unclean person. Well, he just used uncleanness in verse 3. It's the same connected Greek word. And then in the word um, covetous man, of course, he uses the word covetousness in verse 3 also. I just underlined each one in a different color, and then I drew a line to each one of them. Every one, all three of these are connected by the same Greek word, or a cognate or, or root of that. So all Paul is doing is telling us then, if you are guilty of these things in verse 3, if in verse 5, We look at what Paul's having to say here regarding this. Then he says, if you're guilty of those things in verse 3, we know that none of these people, fornicators, unclean people, covetous people, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, the thing for us to remember here is... In verse 2, he said, walk in love. So you remember my line up here? The line that had us walk in darkness? And then all of a sudden there came a point in time when we received Christ and now we're in the light. That was our position, according to verse 8. You were sometime darkness. Now you're light. Paul's admonition to us then is walk in as children of light. So if we do not walk as children of light, if we are guilty of these things, then he's not saying you don't have any light, you were never changed up here on the top line, but down here on the bottom line, your walk is inconsistent. You're not manifesting Christ. You're not being that sweet savor and aroma that he desires of you. You're not well-pleasing unto the Lord. And he said, if that's the case, if this line down here, if you begin to fall off, there's no inheritance in the coming kingdom. And that's a sad loss. That's a sad thing to have to give up. To realize that in Christ's coming rule, we wouldn't be able to participate in that. And you know, if this was the only place that it's talked in the Bible about this, we might be able to just kind of go, well, okay, okay. But you know, the problem is, this is not the only place in Scripture that Paul deals with this subject. You remember back, we looked at it, I think last week, back in Galatians. Just turn a few pages back to the left in chapter 5 this passage that you're very familiar with. And Paul tells us there, 
concerning Christians. If we walk according to the flesh. And there he names some of the same kinds of things that he mentioned to the church at Ephesus. But he talks about even more things. Adultery, verse 19. The works of the flesh are are adultery and fornication. Uncleanness. Isn't that amazing? And the first three words he uses, two of them are used over here to the church at Ephesus. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. And all these other things that he mentions. Until finally, he says in verse 21, they which do such things, practice such things, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't have an inheritance. And you know what, to me, is quite sad about all of that? If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at a verse there. Actually, we'll just look at a couple of verses. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and beginning in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that amazing? That there is presently, today, an inheritance that is being held in reserve for every one of us. It's only ours to gain, but we sure can lose it because of the way we walk today, because of our lack of loyalty and faithfulness to Christ, because of disobedience, or because of the guilt of practicing these sins that he mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. That's why he said, do these things, present tense, you who practice such things. He's not talking about aorist tense, as he mentions in chapter 6 of Galatians, where you're overtaken in a fault or surprised by a sin. That's a different thing altogether. And that happens to all of us. We can be surprised, taken over. We can be walking very faithfully with the Lord, and then, uh uh-oh, you know, I got caught up in a sin. I'm overtaken. And we need to quickly, as 1 John tells us, acknowledge it, say the same thing God says about it, confess it, and we receive immediate cleansing. Or, as we see in Galatians chapter 6, Paul, if it's a public sin... Paul says, you you know, you who are spiritual, go to that one 
and seek to restore them. Bring them back. You know what's interesting? Of the practicing sins, Paul doesn't talk about bringing them back. He only talks about it on the aorist tense sin. Somebody who's caught up in surprise, overtaken. These, he instructs them to bring them back. So it's a real serious thing and a serious matter that we walk according to, how am I going to say that? We walk on God's terms. We walk in the way he's instructed us to walk with diligence and faithfulness and loyalty and love and obedience and gentleness and being tender-hearted and kind. As a matter of fact, back in Galatians chapter 5, all the things that he says we should do, he says there's no law against those things. The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no law against those things. Those are the things we should be doing. But there is a law against these others. And if we practice those, then he says, there is no inheritance in the kingdom of God for you or me. And he tells us the same thing over here. In Ephesians. And he, by the way, I don't have time to go back there this morning, but if we went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you will find Paul using the same kind of language about not being able to inherit because of a lack of faithful, loyal walk with Christ. So consequently then, he says in verse 6, Let no man deceive you. We're back in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let no man deceive you with empty words, vain words. For because of these things is coming the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. I think the sons of disobedience in context here, as opposed to the context in chapter 2, chapter 2, it seems like he was talking about the, the, the uh, unsaved, the unbeliever. But here, he's talking about those who are not faithful, those who are walking disobediently. Look back with me back in Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32 for a moment. You know, in Deuteronomy... We all understand, I believe, that by the time we come to to the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel who came out of Egypt, that original generation has all died. The ones that didn't uh, get to go into the promised land, save for Caleb and Joshua. So they're all gone off the scene. We have a new generation that's now been raised up, and... Of course, that required Moses to instruct them and teach them about God's law. So in Deuteronomy, you have what the the word Deuteronomy means, second giving of the law in Greek. That's the Greek word, by the way, Deuteronomy, (laughs) even though we're in Hebrew here. uh, 
It's the second giving of the law because these people hadn't all heard it firsthand the way those did at Mount Sinai. And so, beginning at, at um, well, in, in chapter uh, uh, 31 and verse 30, notice that verse at the very end. He says, Moses spake in the ears of all the congregation of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. <laughs> in other words, you, you, you're going to have to endure my song all the way to the end, but here it goes. Uh, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness to our God. And he goes on then in this passage in his teaching to talk about God and his law and he talks about the, those who were disobedient. And I want you to notice in particular verse 20. Concerning the disobedient one, he says, And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. And of course, the word children here, is sons. Sons in whom is no faith. Sounds an awful lot like sons of disobedience. Sons of, matter of fact, some would actually translate back here in Ephesians, they would call this, translate sons of unbelief. But I think disobedience probably fits the picture pretty well. Because it has to do with what Paul says in verse 8. Walk as children of light. Don't walk as sons of disobedience. Be obedient. And if you're obedient, then we can be sure of that coming inheritance. We can be sure of having possession of that heavenly inheritance that's being held up there for us right now that he says is a non-fading or unfading inheritance. Can you imagine how long that inheritance has been there? And it's not changed one whit from the day God gave the promise until today. And it won't change until the day we take possession of it. But taking possession of an inheritance means we walk in a manner of which God is well-pleased or as the King James says here, is acceptable unto him. Now we will come back next week and we'll address this again because we've got to finish the passage. But the whole point of this this morning then is in verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Partakers. Don't be a partner with the sons of disobedience. Don't be a sharer with the sons of disobedience. John tells us, yeah, we're in the world. We're out there mingling amongst them every day. But that doesn't mean we have to partner with them. That doesn't mean we have to share in the way they walk. We don't have to walk as sons of disobedience. We don't have to walk in darkness, as John tells us in 1 John. We are in the light if we're in fellowship with God. 
and we are to walk in the light continuously. So, just to say it, to sum up, verse 8 says, you were sometimes darkness at one point in life. There came a change when you were made alive in Christ, which we found out back in chapter 2, and now you became a child of light. And you are in Christ, in light. But over here then, on this lower plane, and, and I think what we should do is recognize here, we could call this the plane of the soul. Up here, we have the plane of the spirit. This is unchanging up here. Once we've received Christ, we have him. Once that little dot took place and we were made alive in Christ, we are made alive in Christ. Period. But down here on this lower plane of the soul, our walk with the Lord, it's a whole different story. And so he's admonishing us then, walk as children who are up here in the light. If we're up here in the light, then we ought to try to walk down here in our daily obedience as children who are in the light. You know what? That's going to make all the difference in the world at the judgment seat of Christ to be found walking in the light. What disappointment, what sadness to be at the judgment seat of Christ and to be found walking in darkness. That's why we have this circle of love. You weren't in here, Walt, when I mentioned your, in your prayer, you said something about this, be glad to be joined here in this circle of love. I don't know if you ever even remembered it, but boy, that, that hit me really hard, right? I mean, that just just, the, just the, the language of it, the implications of what it means to be fellow believers united together in love, to build each other up, to encourage each other along the way as Christians so that we might attain to that coming resurrection which will result in an inheritance for which we can't even begin to comprehend the joy and the wonder that it's going to bring to us. Why do we work for it then? If we can't even comprehend it, it's because of the promise of the, the God who made the promise to us. If we know him, then we can anticipate something mighty and great is in store. And of course, he doesn't, that's not the end of it. He tells us all about the, the new city of God that's to come. We sang about it this morning, the new Jerusalem, and all the, the joys and the wonders and the beauties that are going to be there, that'll be ours. It will be worth it. It will be worth it all in that day. So let's be careful to hold each other up. Let's be careful to walk circumspectly as he says over here later in this passage, walk accurately, walk exactly, accordingly, and there's going to come a day 
when we will be very pleased because God is pleased with us. Let's pray. Our Father, what joy comes to our heart, what thrill is ours when you come to visit with us through your Spirit. And we pray, Father, today that you would do just that, to encourage our hearts, to strengthen us, to convict us where we need to be convicted, that we might be found faithful and loyal to you in that coming day. Lord, I pray that each one of us here might find our place of service in the body of Christ, use our gift to be a blessing to those around us, and to edify one another as you've told us to do, so that we might be knit together in love, and we'll give you the praise and the thanksgiving for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.